All right, it's good to be with you tonight. Thanks for uh, the invitation. Uh, this is my wife, Nikki, and we really don't preach together that much. Ben asked, I said, hey, all these women are doing it. Do you want to do it? So she's going to tell stories. How's that? And so she, she, she's, every time I need an illustration, I'm just going to look and, and, and she'll, she'll talk. Let, let me say two or three things right up front. Number one, I'm 64 and I'm still on this journey of learning about God and learning about how he works in the world and what God is doing and what it looks like. Anyone who thinks that they've arrived doesn't get the moment that we're in. We're at a radical shift in human history. Forget all the things going on in America. I'm just telling you globally, we're in a major shift in how the world is, where it's going, how it functions and operates. Now compound that with uh, COVID and economics and AI and populist leaders and the rise of China, uh, the wannabe rise of Russia and the divisions that we have in our country. And we have very real legitimate racial divisions in our country. You should also know they're all over the world. Uh, for some countries, it's not race, it's tribal. And for other countries, it is race. But the reason for all of this instability more than anything else is that right now, everything is up for grabs. You're, you're living in a chaotic period in the history of humanity, and you really ought to be excited about it. I'm serious. Uh, most people just coast through history, and a few get to live through the transitions. And sometimes the transitions can be a war or a new ruler, or some guy takes over the world, or some technology or something else comes along that happens. But you really are living at a moment of transition. And, and if you notice, there's basically two responses uh, for most Christians. Uh, one is, we got to go back to the past. We got to get to the past as quick as we can, make it what it used to be, and if we just get there, we'll be okay. And I'm telling you that the past is the past. Celebrate it, stand on its shoulders, but know that the horse and buggy is never coming back except for some theme park. Others want to hurry up and determine this is the future. This is it. And so they raise a flag and they tell everybody else, this is where the future is. Join me, follow me. Don't follow those people. You're going to wind up stranded. As a follower of Jesus, the most important thing you can do right now is float. It's surf. It's hold on to the values, the truths that God has put inside of you. And don't freak out by the right. Don't freak out by the left. Just take a deep breath and watch King Jesus reign. And see, most of us think of him reigning in terms of Stable times. What does it mean for him to reign in the context when things are not stable? He's still God. Amen? He's still reigning regardless. So what, what are the implications for that? And I think Ben's phenomenal for many reasons, but one of the reasons is he gets the whole concept of everyday missionary. What does that mean? I, I remember... When I was coming up and in my 20s and 30s, people began to talk about this, quote, missional movement. 
And, and the church needs to be missional. Any of y'all remember those terms? You got to be old like me if you, if you heard them. But that was the big term, to be missional. But the reality is, missional was never meant to be a strategy to spread the gospel. What people were describing was what life should be like all the time if you're a follower of Jesus. And we've not known that for a long time in the American church. What does it mean like to be a follower of Jesus day in and day out? Not looking for a strategy to reach lost people, though that's important, but just living your life as a follower of Jesus. What is that? What was that intended to be? And that goes to the heart of what Ben wanted me to talk to you about tonight in terms of public square. What does it mean to live your life in the public square? You're in the public square whether you want to, want to be or not. And this little thing right here has done it more than anything. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. Take your pick. I mean, we are all now in this public square kind of living. How do we live and how do we serve? So let me ask you a few questions. Let's have some fun, can we? I'm not going to preach to you a sermon. I just, I just told we could talk and have some fun. So I want you to tell me when you think of God moving in your life the top one or two times, when you go back and you think, boy, this is when God really moved in a profound way. Where were you and what happened? All right? I want you to get it in your head, and I'm just going to point at some of you, because if I wait for you to speak up, you, you won't speak up. So I'm just going to point to you, okay? And you tell me where you were, and you can speak up if you want to, and I won't point at you, like, but I'm going to be the Holy Ghost if nobody speaks up real quick. Where were you and what happened? No, you can't leave, sir. Come back. No, I'm, I'm teasing you. Where were, where, when and where were you? When you think about the most profound time God ever spoke to you, when, where were you and when was it? Here we go. Who wants to go first? Thank you, young man. Okay. Has to be a specific time now. Yeah, like in in like the mountains or something like that. Like cool. Being out and just being moved in worship, being healing small of like how big God is and how big His creation, but how like how amazing it is that He loves me. You know. Oh, that's good. I love that. It's yeah. good. Somebody else. Where and when? Yes, ma'am. Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. What, what, what about you? Are you with that lady? Okay, okay, come on. Then, then tell, tell us about you. That's good. That's good. I like that. That's good. What about, what about you? You're preaching next week, young man. <laughs> I look at my wife and she can tell me 
No, you can't. That's good. Okay, I'm going to go back to some, I see some older people like me. What, 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 uh, maybe, you, you, you two back here. Come on, I, I, I see you. Come on, don't, don't be shy. That's cool. I love it. Awesome. It's awesome. Okay, okay, what, what do all these have in common? If you listen to them. Come on, talk to me, people. Y'all are smart. What, what do they have in common? <coughs> huh? He does speak. And you know what? The, let me tell you something they, they don't have in common. Not a single one of you told me about when you were in a church service and God did something really powerful and bam, bam, bam. How many of you have been in a church service where God moved? Can I see your hands? We've all been in church services. But here's what I want you to understand. And here's the first thing about the public square that's critical to understand. It's all about story. It's all about story. In American Christianity, we have a tendency to make it about place. It's the worship service. It's the church. It's the building. It's Sunday at whatever time they meet. And, and though, that's important. Do not hear me saying it doesn't matter to meet and to worship. But I think God is trying to say something. If you were to <coughs> ask people, even my age and older, many of them would say it was at a worship service, it was at a camp, it was at a revival service, it was at a Billy Graham event. And that was the epitome. Billy Graham was this guy who used to be a famous evangelist. He's been dead for many years. He died when he was nearly 100. Anyhow, you may have heard of his son, Franklin, not near as happy as Billy. But nonetheless, uh, you would think of it in terms of those things. And it's always about story. Now, let's have some fun. Ben, I'm excited. You're going to talk to him about reading the Bible. So, so tell me, what's the story of Genesis? More than anything else, what, tell me two or three big things in Genesis. Talk to me fast, people. We've only got another 20 minutes left. Talk to me fast. What happens in Genesis? What? Creation. There you go. What else? Fall. Yeah, there we go. What else? Uh, he makes humans. That's right. He chooses a people. There we go. Israel. Who does he do that through? And it wasn't in a worship service, was it? And then what happens in Exodus? 
yeah, there they go. And so they start getting free and then we get the law and all this stuff. And, and then we get to, you know, first and second Kings and we get this first set Chronicles, all that good stuff. First, second Samuel. So, so what's going on? God's building a people. And then, and then we get to David and he's a king like no other king. And look at what David does. Guys, here's my point that I want you to understand. In the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, what you see happening more than anything else, it's a story. It's a story. And if we would stay with your story, God would do great things. And your story is evolving. It's a story. And even if you look at the New Testament, what's the story of Matthew? What's the story of the other Gospels? What's the story of Acts? See, here's what I want you to understand. It is a story. I, I want to read to you uh, tonight from a couple of things in Acts, if I could. Uh, and I'm doing this on my phone because I didn't want my Bible to melt in the car after I got through uh, going out to eat. But I love Acts 17:6, And it says, these men who have turned the world, and that means women too, it means everybody, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. But if you hear how they turned the world upside down, it wasn't because they had great worship service. If you listen, I hate it when I hear a preacher say something like, Sunday, 11 o'clock is the most important hour of the week. No, it's not. Monday at 8 o'clock in the morning is the most important hour of the week. Sunday's just when you come together, you worship, you get hopefully inspired, you get equipped, you get trained. And then it skips, we're going to skip all the way down to verses 19. And, and so Paul, we're fixing to go to Greece. I'm taking her to Greece for free. I'm checking in all these miles. She's going to have fun and get all liquored up. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting for you bring strange things to our ears. Now guys, isn't this cool? <clears throat> Paul's about to go into an evangelistic meeting at the Areopagus. But it's not Paul and the eight apostles that were around when that happens. Notice he's being invited to their event. So it's not we Christians getting together, let's invite our lost friends. It's just the opposite. All these people who are non-believers are together and they've heard Paul talking about stuff. And what does Paul do when, when he goes in there? Uh, and, 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 he starts, and he starts talking to him. Does he trash him? Does he say, you sorry Muslims and Buddhists and Jews and you slime balls. Let me tell you what the real God is and who he is. So Paul, being invited, standing in the Areopagus, said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious. Wow. He actually compliments them. He compliments them. He says, hey, you got some good stuff going on. For as I pass along, I observe the objects of your worship. I also found an altar to the inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown. This I proclaim to you. So now he's coming back and saying, hey, you got some good stuff going on. I want to make it full. I want you to understand what it is. Do you follow me? So, so. It's a story that Paul has, and he's with them in their context, speaking about who Jesus is, and he doesn't trash him. Now, if you think that's a fluke, then all you need to do is to read over two more chapters 
where we go to August 19, uh, not August, uh, Acts 19. It's hot in August, isn't it? And, and, and we go over to Acts 19, and Paul's now in Ephesus. He's a tent maker. You know, we, we, we talk about Paul and what he does in Ephesus and, and how he goes everywhere. He's at the Hall of Tyrannus. He's a tent maker. He's dealing with business people. And so he goes right there in the middle of it. And once again, he's invited to speak at Ephesus, but all the silversmiths get upset because they've been making these gods, you know, and, and, and for, for this particular God. And they're upset because what is Paul doing? I mean, he's preaching, he's speaking, he's messing up our trade and our industry. And so Paul doesn't even get to speak. He's invited to their event. But here's what happens. It's interesting. The town clerk or the mayor says two things. He says, number one, he's not blasphemed our God. And number two, he's not robbed anybody. And, and, and so, you know, I grew up in a culture of deep East Texas. We hadn't preached the gospel until we insulted your God. I mean, that was the real ministry. And, and I remember many years ago, this guy who was in his 80s taught me and mentored me. And I remember him saying, Bob, you don't have to trash other people's gods. Just lift up Jesus. Do you know what? He was right. Why do you think so many people except Christ in China are exploding today? Is it because we have all these Buddhist apologists that are in China explaining how Jesus is superior to Buddha? Why do you think all these Muslims around the world are coming to faith in Christ? Is it because we've got Islamic apologists? It's not. It's because they are living their faith in a powerful and a profound way. People see it and they want to hear. So the first thing I want to say is stay with your story. What is your story? What's your story? I was raised in a culture that valued those that were called to preach, but not so much. Everybody else, the highest call was to be a preacher. Can I just tell you something? You've all been called to preach. Did you know that little word kerygma that's used? It was never, you know, if you go over here to Southwestern Seminary that I love, I went to school there, great place. And, and it said the idea that we're going to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. Yeah, but not just that. You're a part of the kerygma, the, the proclaiming forth of the good news of Jesus. You're a part of that. So, Nikki, where were you just recently? Music. Yeah, yeah. Where, where were you recently? I just got back from Vietnam. And what did you do? Just talk. Don't worry about it. Hold it to your mouth. It works. It yeah. Okay. So, I just got back from Vietnam. I led a team of educators. We go there every July, pre-pandemic, but now we got to start again this year. And we do conferences, education conferences, partnering with the Hanoi National University. And do you ever preach? We don't preach. Do you ever talk about Jesus? One-on-one, -on -one we can. All right. So how did you determine that you would do education? So we started going in through the domains. And so since I'm a school What's teacher, a domain? Okay. There's eight domains that, that are the building blocks of society. The church is not one of those eight. The church is in all eight of them. So you have education, government, medical, would you like to name all yeah, eight? I don't care. Yeah, anyway, so mine is education. So I take educators and we go in for the purpose of helping the teachers there. They don't have, they're about 50 years behind us. They were when we started uh, working with their students with disabilities. So that we were invited by the government to come in and to train the teachers, the administrators, 
even the parents to know how to work with their students with disabilities. And through that, this was our 18th year, we have built some very strong relationships. We don't go in there and do Bible studies or hand out tracts or our purpose is not, it's not a carrot that we go in. We go in to truly help them in that area of working with those students. But coming back, you're an educator, they're an educator. What are some of the other people that go? Uh, like we got a couple of trips coming up this fall. Yes. I'm also leading a trip. Well, actually, we have a, a trip, that a medical team that's going. We also have a social work team that I'm going to lead in October and also a business team. So we go through those domains and we engage in the uh in the society through those domains. And what we do is we make relationships with people that we share values. So as I go as an educator, we share a value with the educators there that we both are concerned about the students and we're both concerned about how we present the material to the students and meet the students' needs. So that shared value connects us. Well, when the business team goes, they're gonna be working with some business uh, stu students at the university that are getting their business degree. They've got that shared value. See, one of the biggest things that the kingdom of God teaches us is this. Guys, we bring value to all humanity. Have y'all ever heard of this guy named N.T. Wright? If you haven't, read him. And I love something N.T. Wright says. He says, we've made it about heaven and hell. And heaven and hell are real. But it's also about heaven and earth. And the kingdom says, how is heaven coming? So when you think about a church in this community, I think it's great. But I think God is excited when Fortress is here. Amen? I think he cares about that public school down the road. What is God's will for that public school down the road? How can you be a blessing to that public school? To the homeless center? To the food pantry? Uh, to, to, the, to the vocational shop? Do you see what I'm saying? So your story fits in with where those people are. And what that means, the second thing is, it's a matter of your presence being there. Your presence being there. I love what Jesus says in Luke 17, 21. The kingdom of God is in your midst. Where is the kingdom of God? People debate, has it come or not? Well, are you here or not? That's the real question. Because if you are following Jesus, the kingdom is present in you. And wherever you go, you're taking the kingdom. And you're planting seeds of the kingdom for a harvest. And, and, and here's the cool thing. When you're faithful with the little seeds, I get frustrated with some pastors. I work with a lot of world leaders. And sometimes it can be a small church pastor or a mega church pastor. Bob, take us around the world. Teach me how to work with world leaders like you do. You know what I tell them? Are you willing to scrub commodes? Because that's what it takes. You've got to serve the people at the grassroots level. See, what we want to do a lot of times, we want to walk in and meet with the leaders. Why do you want to meet with the leaders? I teach young pastors all the time. There's two reasons you stand before a leader. One is, you know somebody. And that may be good, you're in a meeting, and it may be bad. The other reason, you serve the subject so well that the leader in that community wants to meet you. I hate it when pastors say, I want to go meet the mayor. I want to go meet all these leaders and tell them that we're here. Don't do that. In, instead, serve in the community and wait for the mayor to want to meet you. Those are two different responses that the kingdom of heaven is present, bring value. And as you're present, they're present. One of the things I think about is what does it mean to be a peacemaker? Think about the Beatitudes. Do you realize 
how the Beatitudes were not meant to be lived just among the people of God? To just let that sink in. Blessed are the peacemakers. Oh, that's going to help people get along inside the body of Christ. Where does it say that? It doesn't. Peacemaker is the idea of somebody who's living outside of the body of Christ. See, every single one of you is kingdom disciples living in the public square. You're a little nodule. You're a little extension that the kingdom of God can spread wherever it is. When I told you I'm in the midst of, of learning now, 80% of my time, I'm with non-Christians now, at least that. Here's what I tell people who struggle with unchurched people. How many of you have either a mom, a dad, a son, a daughter, an aunt, an uncle? How many of you have an extremely close friend? How many of you have one of those people who they don't know Jesus? Can I see your hands? Look all over this room. Treat people of other religions the exact same way. That's the principle. And that's what I do. I just do it with people of other religions. So it, it, it's being present. But as you're talking, I'm thinking, I grew up uh, in my early adult life where we had a presentation and we worked on our presentation and then we went and gave our presentation to the lost world. The way we do it today is it's a natural outflow of my relationship with Jesus. It's not a presentation. I don't have to be nervous about it. I love the verse in Matthew that says, Let your light shine before men that they can see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So as I'm leading my team stateside before we go, I say, Be sure that you are on your face before God every day and that you are building your relationship with him so that when the opportunity presents itself, it will just be a natural outflow of your conversation. And I was one of the ones who taught her to do the presentation because we were seminary students and leading a little church. And so we had this evangelism class. So Nikki, you and I have to model it. So I taught her all that stuff. And it's not bad. It's good to know so that when you ask questions, you've got a way that you can share the gospel. Here's what I want you to understand. When you live your life with non-Christians, just like you do somebody that you love that doesn't know Jesus, you're always talking about Jesus, aren't you? It's a natural result because you want them to know. And you, she just got back from Vietnam. I've been overseas the last two months. I'm about to be gone for another month. So we talk about the world, but everything you're describing, we do right here where we are. My son is one of the most generous people you'll ever meet in your life. He's your age, Ben. He's a very successful young businessman. He's extremely generous. So what I try to do is to introduce him to people who hurt. And I don't say, Ben, help this person. So we, we have all these Afghan refugees. He's helped with them. But this Ukrainian guy, it's a long story. Him and his family wind up here and they have all kinds of visa problems and they're refugees. So what was my goal this morning? I had to introduce Ben to that Ukrainian refugee because I know, huh? Yeah, my son, I'm sorry, Ben Roberts, Ben Conley. So I had to introduce my Ben, I'm sorry, to this refugee because I know he's going to help him out. And already he's texted me something about, Dad, how can I help this person, you know? And I, I don't know, son, whatever you feel led to do. And God's had to speak to him because he's so generous. He's, I used to be the same way. I'm, I'm generous. I've always been generous. But I would help people even if they were scuzzballs, you know? I mean, I would get taken advantage of so much. So I had to learn you need to be wise about what you give. By the way, guys, you don't have to be rich to be generous. Amen? See, some of you think, when I get rich, I'm going to get generous. No, you're not. You're going to be stingy like you are right now when you're poor. If you're poor stingy, you're going to be stingy rich. I'm just serious. Be generous now. So it's the whole idea when he's present 
there's going to be there. Now then, here's the other thing I would say. Uh, let, let me read to you. And Ben knows I love this passage. Uh, and I'm not going to look it up. Well, yeah, I need to look it up. But Colossians 1 is probably, uh, it is the epitome of the kingdom of God if you study it in Pauline theology. And uh, in Colossians 1, I'm just going to read verses 15 through 20. And, and then, so it's your story. It's your presence. And then it's in all things, things that you don't expect. Now that when you're faithful in the small things, and, and, and guys, you've got a whole world right around you. So just look, you, you've put your church in an awesome spot. So just, just filter in. I know what Ben believes about missional communities and reaching out in this. So I know you'll do that. But let me also say this, Ben, if y'all want a hard place in the world, I'm your guy. I'll help you and yada, yada, yada. Pick it out. Don't be bop all over the world and waste your time. Go to one city and stay there for 10 years and watch what God does. But I love this. Colossians 1:15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He's just talked about the Holy Spirit. You can't get more Trinitarian than Colossians 1. For by him, all things were created in heaven and earth, visible, invisible. And not just all people, all things. Look at what he says. Thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things, infrastructures. That's what domains are, the infrastructure of society. Through him and for him, before him, all things, and in him, all things hold together. And, and so he's saying all things. This is phenomenal. Right in the middle of all this in verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Let's stop right there. In other words, all things, dominions, authorities, infrastructures, and then he says that Christ might be preeminent. And then he says through the church. Are you with me? So you're, what are you? You're the church. And so your primary ministry is the value, the education, the knowledge, whether it's theater or technology or education or medicine, it's bringing value. What is the value that you bring that says all things that are there? Fourth and finally, and I'm going to just mention it real quick, is civility. How, how do we see ourselves civility? Guys, listen to me. I don't care who you vote for, but you should never be hateful to anybody. I don't care if they're Democrats. I don't care if they're Republicans. The church ought to be a place that models a different ethic for how we talk publicly to other people. Amen? But man, what has happened to us? We've become angry and Man, listen, if, 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 if anger is the basis from which you're operating, you can't be civil. I don't have to agree with somebody, but I can be kind to them. And, and, and so when you think about civility, I want you to think in terms, not syncretism, but this is why our church does what it does, working in the inner city. This is what we do in these contexts. That's the public square. Don't view the public square as having a picket sign stating your position. View the public square as making an impression for Jesus with non-believers through the infrastructures of society. Okay, I'll stop.